My grandfather, they, he, he kept saying, this isn't a, a job for a woman. This just isn't. You know, they said to me, you can go to college, you should be going to college, and you should not be wasting your time working in kitchens. I think you continually keep going, tapping into those feelings of, I have to say, insecurity. So I think I shut down for quite some time, several years. And it wasn't really until I had my daughter that I realized, okay, I think I can love like this again. You can feel it in your heart. Feel it in your soul. Everybody's got a little something. Something that makes them feel gold. So what you have just heard... Consider them, well, appetizers of what we've cooked up for you on today's episode of Everybody's Got Something. Hello, everyone. I'm Robin Roberts. If you're a foodie, like me, chances are you've already recognized the voice of my guest, Giada De Laurentiis, granddaughter of movie mogul Dino De Laurentiis. Giada is a superstar on the Food Network. Ah, stunning, talented. Watching her whip up some amazing Italian meal And you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, she's got it all. You might even assume she always had it, well, easy. Not so fast. Because you see, everybody's got something. And of course, that's the whole point of my podcast. It's also a phrase my beloved mama used to say. Words of wisdom to live by. Come on now, everybody, everybody, and I mean everybody, faces a life challenge at some point or another. And it is during those difficult times when we find incredible resources of courage, wisdom, and inner strength, uncovering and discovering the best of ourselves, no matter what life hands us. Okay, so as I mentioned, today's guest is one of the shining stars of the food world, Giada De Laurentiis. And I just want to warn you that, well, by the end of this podcast, you will be hmm, hungry. Here's a little preview of how Giada makes even a few words sound delicious. Mozzarella and tomato and basil. Oh, let's hear that again. Mozzarella and tomato and basil. Now let's start from the beginning of my conversation with Giada. Hello. Hi. We thought you might come bearing gifts. Uh, um, That's part of the reason we booked you. So I do apologize. Darn it. Mm. You know, it's funny because I go to the airport because I'm always in airports and Every time, without fail, each time, somebody says to me, um, did you bring me anything? I'll let you cut the line if you brought me a little treat. Did you, let, did you bring me something? I'm thinking, oh, man, I should just travel with food uh, You should do constantly. that. But you know what? Now you know how comedians feel because we're always like, make, make me a joke. Laugh. Yeah, Give me a joke. joke. Make me laugh. So we see you. Bring me food. I know. It's like we're supposed to just be able to do stuff right on the fly. Uh-huh. Just produce it. But it's, you know? it's just a portion of who you are. It's not... Uh, but there is I think maybe it's probably who I am to most people other than, you know, my family maybe, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I represent Italian food right here. <laughs> yeah. It's all Italian. See, see. <laughs> yeah. See. Oh, there is something about um everyone gravitates toward the kitchen. You can have the most fabulous home and spend all this money in different parts of the room and everybody wants to cram into the kitchen. There's something that's so comforting mm-hmm. about being there. Mm-hmm. and food mm-hmm. and healing. Why do you think that is? 
I think that food has a lot to do with uh, childhood memories and sort of taps into our childhood, whether it's good or bad, whether your parents love to cook or disliked cooking. And no matter what you ate, everybody eats, right? We all have to to survive, whether we enjoy it or not. And I think it kind of conjures up memories. Um, sometimes they're great ones. Sometimes they aren't. And so uh, I think that that is why there's such a gravitational pull. And for those people who don't have wonderful memories in the kitchen, they would love to create new ones. Mm. And this is the opportunity to do that. Um, I think that's also why people are attracted to Italian culture and Italian food. There's sort of a um, a zest for life that happens in Italian culture. We so enjoy our family, our friends, whether we bicker or not. We enjoy <laughs> them. And it's all surrounded around great food, sharing it. You know, not so much everything plated, but family style gathering where everybody sort of digs in and we like to um, bring everybody into the kitchen to help, whether they're actually cooking or just helping plate and bring out the food so that everybody feels like they're connected to each other. And that's what I think is so attractive. That's a, I just, you know, you're saying this and it's making me think about my childhood in yeah. Mississippi. And, and, and my mother... Uh, she would jokingly say the best thing that she makes is a reservation. And you know what she did? But she, you know what? She had few dishes that she made, but she made them to perfection. Right. And that's what I tell everybody. Yeah. Have just a couple of dishes in your, re- in your repertoire. Right. Just one or two that you make perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's what you bring. And that's what people know you for. And you yeah. don't, it doesn't, you don't even have to, it doesn't even have to be cooked. It could even be a beautiful caprese salad you put together. You can assemble and make it stunning. Until presentation, my mother, Oh, the presentation was yeah. was because she would we'd always say, "Oh, mom, you know, it looks so good." And she goes, "Well, I hope it tastes as good as it looks." Yeah, because she really put a lot of effort. In. But, but remember, you see it first. Yes, you and do. that automatically makes you feel yeah. like makes your mouth water, whether mm. it's good or not. Once you eat it, right? It's already you've already the wheels have already started spinning, <laughs> right? So it's a good thing. Well, tell me about your when you um, when you're talking about childhood memories about when we say food makes us think. What's the memory? That comes to mind. Well, the first memory for me is making pizza, but I was about five. Um, The thing that my grandfather always did at every gathering, whether it was a family gathering or a work gathering, is uh, pizza was on was passed out first and foremost. He's Neapolitan, was Neapolitan, and so pizza obviously the birthplace is Naples. Um, I think it's the best pizza in the world. Not everybody agrees, but I happen to think it is. So he made Neapolitan pizza, and. I started, we started as my, my brothers, my sister and I, all our cousins started making that as, as kids. He would make the dough and then later on we would make our own pizzas or just help top all the pizzas. And traditionally it's just mozzarella and tomato and basil. You know, we don't do a lot of other flavors, although sometimes we did. Most of the time it was that. So we would all contribute in helping pour on all the toppings and then we would feel like we were part of it even though we were very young um, and I remember specifically him cutting up the pizzas in my first bite and just burning the inside of my mouth from some hot <laughs> that pizza and that mozzarella was so those are the kind of memories that you know the first ones that I remember and then from mm. then on there's just there's so much fun I think as a kid to be able to actually stick your hands in all of the ingredients and put them in your mouth as you're cooking and I always said if there was a way I could do that for a living all the time, I would, and I ended up doing it. Yes, but, you know, anthropology, that was your major, even though that you ended up doing that. I mean, when did you know? I knew from about 12. My grandfather opened um, a group of sort of gourmet shops called DDL Food Show. He opened one in New York at the Trump mm. Tower here, um, and then he opened one in L.A. in Beverly Hills. And I knew from that point on that that's sort of what I wanted to 
that's the space I wanted to be in. I didn't know that I wanted to cook per se. Um, he had brought all his friends from Naples over. So all the kids he grew up with, he brought to LA and to New York to run this restaurant. So nobody spoke English. It was hilarious. It was like a big, uh, a big TV show happening right there and then. But I remember being there after school every day and smelling the, the, the pizzas cooking, whatever it was that was make, was cooking. And also just the look on people's faces that walked in the door. You know, that yeah. was the, the shock and awe. And that's what I thought was so cool. And, at that point, I realized it. But you have to remember, too, that I'm the first in my family to go to college. And um, I think, especially my grandfather, he he kept saying, this isn't a, a job for a woman. This just isn't. And this isn't, yeah. you know, he worked really hard to kind of get out of the poverty that, he, that mm-hmm. his family ended up being in uh, after World War II because they lost their pasta factory. And he didn't want me going back to that. And so that's where... He, you know, they said to me, you can go to college, you should be going to college, and you should not be wasting your time working in kitchens. And, and it, it came from a good place when they were oh, yeah, saying yeah. that. You know, like, cause some people oh, yeah. say that, oh, you, you can't do that because you're a woman. That, they didn't mean it like that. It well, no, just, he did mean it like that because he was Neapolitan. <laughs> but he didn't mean oh. it, even though it was a forceful way of saying, I know what's best for you. It, it, uh, it only uh. comes, it comes from a place of his own experience. Right. And him trying desperately, like many people moving to this country did, to give a better life to his family. You know what I mean? Because they've seen so much sadness and poverty and they've seen uh, just turmoil and they want to not have that happen for the future generation. But it wasn't a mean-spirited thing. That's what I mean. It wasn't mean-spirited. And he could never and no one could ever have imagined this. Nobody could have. It didn't exist. And then when you say this. Well, we, this we, in we, the sense that I've made a career uh, and it's been on TV and I've – I couldn't have – nobody could have. This is sort of a – I can't I imagine know. you doing – but you know what? I cannot imagine you doing anything else. Let's go back to – okay, you're there in Italy. Yeah. You come here. Yeah. Can't speak a lick of English. No. And my parents would not let me even try at home. It was only Italian at home. All the time. It did not matter. And so I didn't, other than going to school, I couldn't practice at home because they wouldn't let me. They just wouldn't. We were not allowed to speak any English at home in an effort to really preserve the culture and the language. And they really feared that going to school as a young child, I would forget my Italian heritage and I would forget my Italian language, as many people did. Um, And they were adamant that that would not happen. That wasn't, we weren't going to wow. eat American food. We were going to eat Italian food. We were going to have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We were only speaking Italian. But I got to tell you, I mean, I get where it was coming from, but man, was it rough. It was rough. I mean, you're a young child and you don't eat what everybody else eats. Yeah. And you are ostracized for it and nobody wants to talk to you. And you struggle with the English language and there's no way to reinforce or practice at home. Mm. And so it made it. It made me feel very isolated, and I had a hard time socializing and assimilating into this new culture because of it, not because it was their fault. It's hard to explain. Right, I I get where you're coming from. Yeah, it's not their fault. It's just it was their. They were just trying to hold on to what they knew as well. But how difficult? Because kids are just rough anyway. Period. But then when you're not eating the same food. I'm sure you were struggling with the language because you weren't able to really anywhere else but in school use it. Yeah. And I was the eldest of four. So my siblings were younger than me. And I 
so I started school, but they weren't in school yet. Um, and, you know, you have a very a difficult name to pronounce. And you normally speak a different language and you eat different style of food. I would say, yeah, I, you know, I bullied is a hard, it's, is a difficult word for me to use just because I don't know that I was actually bullied, but I definitely went through some very difficult times with other children. And I appreciate And teachers too. And teachers too? Well, yeah, because you have to remember that in the uh, late 70s, it wasn't like today where it's super cool to have a different name, like your name is Apple or whatever. Those things are not, <laughs> right, if right. your parents are a little bit eccentric, you eat different. It's cool now. But know? not then. Heck no. If your name yeah. wasn't Mary or Robin mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Sue, it was a little It was a little bit dodgy. I find that the experiences that you're talking about, I know for myself, they really molded and shaped me into the adult I became. The same for you? Uh, yeah. That's why I think, in a way, it's very strange, but in a way, that's what keeps me grounded in a sense, because I think that as adults, we still tap into that childhood feeling. Oh, yeah. And it never really goes away. So when people say to me, oh, my God, your name is so cool, and you're so this, and it's so fun. You must be so exciting. You can speak Italian. And I think to myself... No, it's not. No, it's not. You know, uh, no, you it's knew. not cool. If, yeah. You know, my name is difficult. I had a rough go with it. And now you think it's cool, but it wasn't. And I was embarrassed by it for a very long time. And I think you continually keep going, tapping into those feelings of, I have to say, insecurity. It just is. And only now at 45 have I realized, okay, I, I can be okay with who I am. I wasn't for a very long time. All I wanted to be was just... Like anybody, like any right. other American girl walking down the street. Uh, but I felt very different. I felt very, very different. Um, and I was always afraid to say my name because of it. Thank you for sharing that. Because so many people, when they see you or see others who have achieved and well-deserved uh-huh. everything, everything. Yeah. But they feel like, oh, it's come easy. Oh, you've never been insecure. So for you to admit that and say, hey, look. I think that for me, people feel like I got it easy because my family, uh, you know, did well and my family made movies. And so I was around movie stars and I look a certain way. So uh, this must have been just a piece of cake for me. I think actually, especially in the field that I'm in, the way that I look has actually hindered my career. And it took me a lot longer to get people to respect me for what I do because I look yeah. a certain way. And when I first started Everyday Italian on Food Network, Everybody said, why'd you hire a model to do cooking? This is ridiculous. How are we ever going to trust a girl that looks like that? It took me a long time. It took me 13 years to get anybody in my field and elsewhere to really think, okay, maybe she does know what she's doing. Maybe the stereotypes we've created in our mind, we can let those go little by little. You know what I mean? And you've helped. You've helped chip that away because it is a boys club. It is. And look, I was someone who started off in sports at ESPN and working local television uh, sports and always challenged like, what do you know? You're a girl. And I didn't want I wasn't trying to make any. This is what I wanted to do. It wasn't like I was trying. I was very um, grateful that Mm -hmm. it was paving the way for others. And now when you see a woman doing sports and television, you don't even bat an eye. You're like, oh, yeah. And we're seeing that more and more in your profession. And you have been at the forefront. But didn't you also have to, um, did you, not using your sexuality, not anything like that, but you had to be comfortable with it. You had to get comfortable with it and say, you know what? Hey, this is who I am. Yes. I had to be comfortable with it Mm. because 
it's part of who I am, but it's also part of my culture. We are sensual people, and our food is sensual to us. It's not, uh, you know, a lot of times people had said to me, well, your show is like, it's like food porn. That's really all you're doing. Okay, if that's how you want to see it, okay. But anybody who knows Italian culture knows that they're very sensual people. Absolutely. And food is part of the way we share our love and our sensuality. It's a very romantic sort of feel uh, with the food, with the culture, with the way that we are. We're very inviting in that way. And I said, you know, listen, if you want to see it that way, that is your prerogative. If that's the way that people are going to appreciate and respect and understand Italian culture and food, so be it. I am who I am. I can't change the way that I am. I only want the opportunity to do what I do. That's it. I'm not asking you to fall in love with my show or to like me or anything else. Try my food. If you like it, great. That's my job. My job is to empower you in the kitchen, to give you extra tools to make you feel good inside. Mm. That's all my job is. If I can do that for you, that's it. I don't need you to do anything else for me. You don't have to buy into anything. So, you know. It took time, but I think we've slowly gotten there. Yeah, but it's 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 like trusting. We all have to learn to trust ourselves and to trust. Yeah, I wish it happens it, earlier in life, especially for know, women. Because for know. women, I think it happens later. Men tend to. I always say, men wake up in the morning, look at themselves in the mirror, and they're like, "Yeah, no matter what they look like, <laughs> right? Know, they feel exactly. empowered." I know, like, yeah, I got this. I got Woo. this. Women get up in the morning, like, oh. "Oh my god, look at my eyes, and I have bags, and I got to cover this." And we start out the day every day yeah. criticizing ourselves. Where most men, maybe not all men, but most men, look, wake up in the morning, and they're like. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I know, got this today. You know what men also do? <laughs> men will wake up and they will play golf or do whatever. Um, we have. We feel like we have to earn, we have to do what we have to do first. And then if we've done all our work, then we can reward Enjoy ourselves. ourselves. Guys, well, <laughs> You know, but I think it's a societal thing. We learn that. Yeah. You know, I think our parents teach us that. Right. And somehow men just get a, a pass and we don't. And But we do that to ourselves, mm-hmm. truly. And God forbid, if we didn't do it that way. And we took the mail oh, route. Oh, gosh, gosh. I know. We I would know. be crucified. Looking at what you've been able to do in your field and the number of people that you're now seeing, women that are now in it, how do you feel your role has been in bringing about this change? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of us really want to be role models when we do this stuff because mm. we all know we're not perfect human beings. And the last thing I ever want is to be put up on a pedestal just to be ripped down, which is usually what ends up happening, right? True, so true. I don't want to. I don't even want to step foot on that pedestal. Um, I think for women in general, there's really only a few of us that have really sort of come up to a certain level, um, and it's so strange to me that it's still only just a few of us. I know it's cooking. It's you know it's. It, you would think it's like a. It's a woman sort of. Yeah. We can we we own nurturing. that space mm-hmm. and it's a nurturing thing, but. Right. It's still male dominated. It just is. And I think that Las Vegas is what really opened it up for me because on the strip, I am the only female um, branded restaurant on that strip. And there are hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. Hundreds. And you have to understand, in the high-powered, high-roller world of that Vegas boys club, Giada took a serious gamble opening her restaurant. Just being able to bet on herself as a winner. Well, it's a strength we all need to cultivate. The restaurant is appropriately named Giada because she was announcing her arrival in a big way. 
some of the best restaurants mm-hmm. in the world are located there. And it was fascinating to me to find out that there's none that are um, female branded like myself. And it was shocking that they're all men. And it, but it's true. And when you ask them mm-hmm. in Vegas, the powers that be there, they'll tell you, well, we just haven't found a woman who can kind of bring people in in that way. And it's a tough business, but you look around and you think to yourself, you know, it's time for a change. Yes. Whether it's me or somebody else, it's time mm-hmm. that we open up the doors and accept many different people. Yeah. You know, it's not easy, no matter who you are or where you come from, to go against the grain. And there's Giada, standing in the huge shadow of her highly successful, opinionated grandfather, a man who discouraged her pursuit of cooking professionally. So where did she, a self-described petite woman, get the courage of a giant to follow her dreams? It starts with ourselves. We all have to accept ourselves first. The journey truly is inside of us. What we let out into the world is wonderful, but the journey starts in here. And you've really been working on that journey. You were not uh, very comfortable in the beginning in doing no, television. No, I was very un- I was a very shy young lady. I know that's maybe hard to believe for a lot of people, but I was extremely shy. Also, when you come from a a large Italian family, very male-dominated. My grandfather was a very powerful sort of presence. Sounds like he was. Yeah, and really ruled the roost. So women, we all sort of, everybody sort of, and not in a bad way, but we cowered down. We listened. We really took direction from him. And so for me to sort of pave my own path was shocking. I can't believe it actually happened. As a female in a large Italian family, there's not many expectations. Meaning they don't expect you to get a job or do it. They expect you to maybe get married and have some kids. That's it. Right? Take care of your family. That's it. So in one way, expectations were low. Right? (laughs) They didn't expect much. On the other hand, um, you know, I had a lot of expectations for myself. Good. So a part of me was like, well, I'm going to do this for me. And not so much for my family. But in the end, it changed everything for my family as well. These you know, women need to hear that. They need to hear that. And yeah. like you, because we can we can point fingers, and you could you could have blamed it on your grandfather. You could have blamed it on your culture, and said, you know, well, that's just how it is. But you looked within yourself and said, no. I wanted to do more, but I wanted to do something that I loved doing. My grandfather, gay, I mean, truly, if it wasn't for him, I don't know that I would have understood and been so passionate about food because he was. But I didn't want to be in the movie business. I just didn't. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I loved food, regardless of my size and my strength. Let me interject here to explain why she's talking about size and strength. You see, in the world of professional cooking, traditionally, you're expected to be super strong in a kitchen. You lift industrial-sized bags of flour. You deal with gigantic equipment. And as Giada tells it, traditional Italian men, such as her grandfather, might think women belong in the kitchen, but at home, certainly not in a professional kitchen. But Giada, well, she felt differently. I felt like I could do something. I could, and I loved it. And I thought, well, if you don't have any expectations for me, then I'm just going to have them for myself. Mm. And I won't really ever let you down because you don't expect me to do anything anyway. <laughs> so, and then when I started to get there, I remember my grandfather said to me, you know, I was in the airport and someone said, oh, you're related to Jada. And he said, and no, she is related to me. 
And that's sort of the oh, mindset, God. right? Oh, my goodness. But that's yeah. his way of saying, I can't believe it. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's my granddaughter, not my grandson or my son or whatever. Sure. So clearly, Giada faced down a lot of old-school patriarchal views about women. But I had the feeling, in order to follow her own path with so much determination and motivation, she probably also had to face up to something. And as it turns out, that something was huge. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So as we've been hearing, my guest Giada De Laurentiis had to willfully fight against her family's old-fashioned views about women. But I had this nagging feeling that underneath her push to break free, to succeed, there was another motivating force. And as it turns out, Giada's inner strength grew from a very painful experience. I lost my brother when he was 30. Uh, so now, like 15 years ago, we were very close. And I always thought, I'm going to make something of myself and I'm going to do it for my brother because he didn't get a chance mm. to do that because he was the oldest in my family. Uh, well, after me, but the oldest male. And a lot of expectations were put on his shoulders because he was a boy and had the same name as my grandfather. So, And he wasn't able to do any. But he died at 30 so of cancer. So I always said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show everybody that you know, I'm going to do it for the both of us. And you have, and you've, um, I, I get, thank you for what you're doing with melanoma and, oh, the, yeah. and the work that you're doing, because that is the cancer that took your, yeah. your brother's life. And you've made that part of your, you were very close to him. Very, very. We cooked together. We were, yeah, mm. we were very, very close. Mm. It was a, it was a shocking moment to watch my brother die at 30 and of I, melanoma. I couldn't believe it. And that is something, everybody's got something. That was something you had to get through. Many of the people that are listening have lost someone close to them. How yeah. were you able to pick yourself back up? Well, I, I, I sort of ignored it for a long time. Did you? I didn't believe it for a long time, yeah. And I dove into work, like dove. I had just gotten – I had just done one season of Everyday Italian. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to put all my energy into this. Hmm. And – for a long time, I couldn't talk about my brother being gone. I couldn't. And I had lived, I lived next door. So it was a constant reminder every single day. And I, you know, my sister dealt with it differently. My sister, you know, she, all she wanted to do was talk about it and cry and talk and cry. My mother too. And I was like, I just couldn't be around them. I was like, I can't do this. I, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to do this. And so I think I shut down for quite some time, several years. And it wasn't really until I had my daughter that I realized Okay, I think I can love like this again. Mm. I was so hurt. I was so, you know, they say when you doubt, I mean, I was, I'm a Catholic and I was brought up in a Roman Catholic family. Uh, I, I said, I, you know, I hate God. I hate it. I hate him. I hate him for taking my brother. I can't live without him. Uh, I hate it what it did to my family. 
I hate the pain that everybody had to go through. And as horrible as it sounds, you know, I I had a little brother and I hated him for a while too because I was like, wow. I I want my other brother back. Yeah, it was horrible. I don't even think I've ever said that before. But it was horrible. I, and I, but through a lot of therapy, twenty years of it, mm-hmm. and giving birth to my daughter sort of changed my perspective and maybe took away some of the edginess and some of the. I don't know. I think I've I've found peace where I didn't have peace for a long time. I had like this inner feeling of like sure. yeah. something is just I just want to strangle something. Mm. You know that anger that goes deep deep that you push push when you're mad that something you loved was a lot taken of pain. away. A lot of pain. Yeah, the pain you push down yeah. and it just always eats at you every once in a while. Uh, I'm a very spiritual person and going through, you know, the loss of my parents and Katrina blowing away my hometown and being ill. I got mad too. I got really mad at mm-hmm. God. But then my mom said, you know, you can get mad at God. He can take it. Yeah. yeah he can take it. He's, yeah. like, he's like, he. it's okay. You, know, you, can, you can get mad. Yeah. 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 And then one day you wake up and it, everything it, starts to turn around a little. Right. Something is given back to you or something happens and you realize, okay, it's not your fault. No. And everything And happens. that hate sort of slowly melts away a little bit at a time. It's got to because if it, if it, it doesn't, it, it does. Especially if you're, no, your mom. She's eight years old now. She eight, she's she's eight. eight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And so that kind of it changes your perspective. Mm. And I actually never thought I even have I would have children. Really? No. But, no. I, I, come on. Come I did it. I didn't because I don't know. I loved my job, and quite frankly, I think after I lost my brother, I was like, oh yeah, I don't ever want to be vulnerable like this again. I'm never in my life going to put myself in a situation where I'm allowing myself to be so vulnerable and having a child. (laughs) Hello, but it's the worst. And I watched my mom go through a lot of pain losing a son. And so I was like, I can't, I don't want to do it. I just cannot ever put myself through it. So then I got pregnant and I had Jade and I was like, oh no. (laughs) So I think that taught me to let go a little bit. Yeah. Taught you to love again. To, 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 to. I don't mind the pain. That means you're here. I mean, it hurts, but if you're, I, to me, if you're indifferent, that's worse. Yeah. If you just, you don't care, right. that's far worse. Right. But the death of her beloved brother hasn't been the only loss she's had to deal with. Giada's marriage ended. She and her ex-husband, Todd, went through a very public divorce. 25 years you all were together, married for 11, but together right. basically 25 Correct. years. Uh, you're a public figure. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about it at the time, and it seemed like you you withdrew a little bit from the public to deal with it. Did uh, you? Yes. So yes, we were together since I was 19. Mm. Um, so yeah, 25 years together, married 11 uh, with with our daughter Jade. Um, yeah, I think I was so su- shocked and. I think that I felt, again, that vulnerability that I did not want to feel on a completely different realm and spectrum. Because my brother died. Nobody – I wasn't I wasn't in the public eye that much. Um, and fearful. Fearful. Because, <laughs> because I was a family person and I was married with a child and I had this whole, like, life, right? And all of a sudden this life crumbled in front of me. And I thought, okay, well, I'm the only breadwinner. Right. And I have my daughter to take care of. 
And now I don't know whether I will have a career after this. I don't know. You know, I think all these thoughts, I know mm. it, it sounds very odd, but when you're used to a certain lifestyle and you're lo- used to having a man by your side to like lean on, and then all of a sudden you're alone again. Again, I say because when my brother died, I felt that loneliness, even though my ex-husband was in my life at the time. It felt very vulnerable. So I said, I thought to myself, I don't want to do any public appearances. I'm just going to just stay home. I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to refigure out my life because my life is a new chapter is starting. What direction do I want to go in? And I had many thoughts. I had thoughts of quitting this job altogether. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Just walking away from walking away. Yeah, because so many hurtful things were written, and even though I tried not to read them, it didn't matter. Uh, you know, everyone always says that you try not to. You try you not d- to, but I have a family, and I have a, I have a sister, and I have, you know, I have cousins and people. My sister sure. would call me and be like, "This is so hurtful, I can't." T-. And then the pain that everybody that it sort of, I can handle the pain. I feel like it's this is my doing, mm-hmm. but it's not their doing. Yeah, and I was worried about what people would say to my daughter because she was at a certain age that she started to understand. She wasn't so young that she couldn't understand what was happening and i thought you know maybe you know my grandfather was used to say yes you want to make money but you'd never want to be famous Mm. because Mm. you don't ever want anybody to really recognize you because that's like the worst thing that could happen to you you have no privacy he was absolutely right yes and so i thought maybe that's the gig just forget about it and move on so i hunkered down for about six months quiet time to figure out my life and then i thought okay let's see I know that I have to talk about it as much as I don't want to. This time around, I can't hold it in the way I did from with my brother. I'm going to have to talk because otherwise I really don't have anything. And I have to just tell people I'm not perfect and things crumble sometimes when you don't want them to. And part of it is this lifestyle. And part of it is it's hard to be the breadwinner. And it, although we want to be open-minded about our roles in the society, about, you know, it doesn't always have to be the man that it's hard. It's hard. And sometimes, though, you also grow apart, you know, and sometimes you're too busy to see it. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's all of those things and more. But it's been a year and a half now. My daughter's doing great. And yeah. I take a lot more time. And I'm very specific with the, the choices I make, um, that they don't take too much time away from her or I include her more. Right, because at the age of eight, that she's really aware. Oh yeah, of everything. Your life. She's very aware of everything. The this, the that. How does she handle the criticism? How does she handle what is said? Well, she, <laughs> she is like a. She always says, "Okay, I have a list, mom, and the person's either going to make my list or not, depending on how they approach you, how they ask for a photo, or what they say to you when you're around me." <laughs> she feels that when I'm around her, people should leave me alone. I agree Maybe with her. Maybe should be respectful of the time we have together. I couldn't agree with her more. Right. But they're not. Right? No. So she's, oh, she looks at them and she kind of um, she she kind of feels it out. How did they ask you? Did they approach Ooh. you aggressively? Did they demand it? Were they kind and sweet? They did you just give you a compliment and walk away. Did they expect, you know, some people ask for videos. Some people ask, you know, to hug you and take a picture. When Jade's right there, she's very uncomfortable with it. And then she wonders why they don't ask her. <laughs> That's your girl. Why do people love you more than me, Mom? Aren't they supposed to love children more than the adults? I'm like, uh, yeah, they love you very much, Jay, but you're a child, so they don't want to approach you. 
<laughs> That's your child. Oh boy, you're. You know what? So parents, I would say to people, mm, let's share the love. Yes, <laughs> let's share the love. You know, but this could be helpful for people. You know, because maybe they don't know when they see a celebrity with the child how they should approach the child or how they should approach the person. This is this is a lesson. And Everything. she always says, "Why do they talk down to me like I'm a baby?" Hi, Jane. <laughs> She's like, "I'm not a baby. You don't have to talk to me like I'm a baby." Oh my god, you can't even uh, imagine the conversations. I, I can't imagine. They never end. Does she like to cook? Is she in the kitchen she with loves you? to cook for now mm-hmm. um and but she's becoming very specific on what she will and won't eat such as such as no greens <gasps> uh which is very difficult for me so um i find myself making all sorts of empty promises to get her to eat some <laughs> really just trying to teach her a balanced diet you can have the sugar you can have all these things but you really have to make sure that uh it, there's a balance there you drink enough water you eat enough greens and that the diet is as balanced as you possibly can make it because – and sometimes I let her go through it. She gets canker mm. sores or mm. she gets constant – whatever it might oh, be, she starts to learn. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't eat so much ice cream or sugar or candy because I have these sores in my mouth that really hurt. She starts to put everything together. And little by little, she starts to learn that her mother isn't just doing it you know, just to watch Jade be upset. But I'm doing it for her own sake so she can start to learn how to take care of her body. Oh, I wish more parents would do that because we talk, we, and we've discussed this before. There is a, an issue in this country with childhood obesity. Yeah. That we're, we're a sedentary society yes. uh, in, in this great country. I love this country. I love everything about it. Uh, we're not moving as much. We're, our, our portion control is off the charts. When I have uh, my international friends come in and we'll go out to eat and they'll say, that, that, that's all for me? You know, they'll see the portion and go, this isn't family style? I'm like, no, that's, that's the American, portion size. Mm-hmm. What are you doing or what do you want to see? Well, first of all, with my daughter, I never say to her, you have to finish everything on your plate. I don't do that. Okay. I tell her to take what she's hungry for. And, you know, that's it. Um, I think too, that family style is a great way to not overeat, you know, because you don't mm-hmm. have to, it's not all piled onto your plate. I always tell people as well that it's about what you eat, but really it's about how much of it you're eating, right? right? So pasta isn't the enemy. Bread isn't the enemy. It's how much pasta and bread you're eating. So take an appetizer plate, okay? And only put what fits on that size plate. That's the beginning. Because when you tell people they can't eat something, no carbs, no sugar, that's all you think about. That's Your brain true. does yep. this weird trick on you where you obsess over the things you're told you can't eat. So instead of saying to people you can't eat it, just eat. Just try to find, don't use your big giant dinner plates. But use your appetizer salad plates and only put what fits Ooh. on that. And that's it. I like and that. no seconds. And little by little, it'll get better. Because, you know, when you've stretched your stomach out so far, it's hard to say, okay, now I'm going to eat one third of what I was eating because you're going to feel hungry. So, and snack more. Instead of eating these giant meals that sort of make you feel sedentary because they make you want to go to sleep, you eat smaller meals multiple times a day. And you also have something to look forward to. Mm, I do like that. And I have started doing that. And I've had to go with chickpea pasta yeah. because I found myself at this age, for whatever reason, wheat. And I love bread. I mean, when I was in Italy, it was, oh, um, but you can find different ways of doing it. Food for a lot of people, it's comfort. Do you have a, a de-stress recipe, though? Do you have something? Because I find I find that it's not food. It's just not. A, I find cooking is comforting. It's well, not- yeah, cooking com- is comforting for me, too. But I can tell you there's many people look at me like I have three heads when I say that. They're like, really? Oh, I think so. I, you know, 
I say to people, even if you don't want to cook, I mean, for me, a baked pasta is what comforts me the most. You know, mm-hmm. I like the process of layering. I like the process of topping. I like the process of putting in the oven and taking out of the oven. Those steps to me and the smell that comes out of the oven is what I love because that's what I grew up with. Okay, so that that leads me to that. Other people, it could be something completely different. So what I say to people all the time, don't worry so much about the cooking. Think about just the process of of um, assembling. Take some beautiful things, whether it's tomatoes, whatever your, the ingredients that you find that are beautiful to you, and put them together on a plate. And just create your own little artwork. It doesn't have to be perfect, but just create something on that plate. And that alone, I think, will comfort you and empower you. Something as simple as that. And oh, that, it's and easy. I, I, mean, yeah. I am not – I wouldn't call myself a great cook. And my partner, Amber, certainly wouldn't call me a great cook. But I enjoy it. I enjoy it, and I know I'm, I'm really good with breakfast. I can, oh, I just, but it's, it's just putting vegetables, and I like a little egg white, and it's just very, very simple. But yeah. I enjoy it so much, and I I am good. But it's, but I, I don't consider myself a chef by any means, but I found that it's just following directions. It's just, I'm very coachable. That's the athlete in me. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know why people get so fearful of it. And if it's not because they're afraid to mess up, but there's no messing up. There's no messing up. That's what I tell Jade every day. There's no messing up. Throw the berries in that bowl any which way you want. There's no messing up. Thank you. And if you, you can play with your food, you can do whatever you want. Everything is, you can clean everything up. It doesn't matter, but it's just the sheer getting your hands sort of dirty Mm. a little bit and it's just the hand-eye contact. It's that alone that sort of soothes your system and your body. Yeah. All right. So I just want everyone to take note of what's about to take place. A very proud moment for me because I actually gave Giada a food idea. Well, not exactly like a recipe or even really food, but I did show her something kind of, well, sort of food-related because sitting next to her was a cup of something I love, which she sipped and this is what happened. You've got warm water first thing in the morning. Yeah. And I actually kind of like that. It's very soothing. Isn't it? Yeah. Is it does, you don't need, it doesn't have to be coffee. It doesn't have to have tea. It's just no. the warmth, the warmth of that. Yeah. Um, it's really nice. Thank you. It's really nice. I can't believe you're, I'm giving, I'm giving <laughs> No, but I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would like to know, like, what do you well, do, Robin, before I, you do this? You, know, you do warm water I in a do, cup. I do warm water in a cup. When I get up in the morning, I do, mm-hmm. I meditate. Okay. Okay. I'm up at I three. find that's really hard to do, by the way. No, I still have no, not to this okay. day been able to master that. So See, well, the thing is, the way, the meditation that I use, TM, it's like, first of all, you're not going to be able to completely quiet your mind. Anyone that says, avoid yourself a thought. Oh, really? You can't do that. Okay. What you, what you do is that you notice when a thought comes in and you gently push it away. You acknowledge it and you, and you gently push it away. Uh, my instructor, uh, the great Bob Roth, he taught me this. Okay, look at this table that's in front of us right now. Uh, imagine this is a pool of meditation. Mm-hmm. And there's a deep end and there's a shallow end. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I meditate, uh, when I first started meditating with him, I was seeing colors and I was like, woo, it was so good. I was so deep and, it, and that. Now on my own, I didn't feel like I was doing it right. And he said, look at that as just a big pool and there's a deep end and there's a shallow end. You still got wet. Mm-hmm. You still got wet. We always want to be in the deep end of everything. Yeah, because we're so worried about doing things incorrectly. Oh, exactly. It's the same they're reason people right, don't want right, to get in the kitchen. Not, right. It's want, the same thing. Yeah, you can't mess up. If you're going to mess it up, then forget it. I don't even yeah, want to do it because yeah. then I feel bad about myself. Yeah. 
Okay. And I get frustrated. It's the same with me and meditation. If I'm not going to do it right, then I'm going to get frustrated. Then I just got more frustrated. Oh. And the whole point was to calm down. So forget it. You see what I mean? I guess you won't be going with yoga with me later today. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is from my producer. I love this question. And so I'm going to read. I'm going to look down and read it because I okay. love it. I Go. love it. I love it. If you had to invent a recipe for a good life, what would the ingredients be? If you had to invent a recipe... For a good life, what would the ingredients be? Okay. okay. I think, and I'm just going to obviously go on what I like. That's the whole point, yeah. Um, Sitaro pasta, which is a Neapolitan pasta. Um, extra virgin olive oil. Um, 24-aged Parmigiano Reggiano. I love how you talk. <laughs> Just like <laughs> fresh arugula. And um going to say probably cherry tomatoes and red pepper flakes. So a little bit spicy. Ooh, those are good ingredients. The green and the red, very Italian colors and, and very vibrant that sort of excite my mind. The Parmesan cheese for that buttery sort of finish because I need that like salty bite at the end. And the olive oil because, I don't know, there's something so velvety about olive oil and it's a big part of me growing up. Mm. Um, so for some people, it's just the smell and flavor of butter. But for me, it's the smell and flavor of olive oil, really good olive oil and pasta because I don't think I could live without it. Whether it's brown <laughs> rice pasta, chickpea pasta, regular pasta, I grew uh. up. On pasta, and I don't think that in a million years I could completely cut it out of my diet. Do we eat a lot of it? No. It, the only thing that's missing is some dark chocolate somewhere mm, in there. But other than that, those are the key ingredients in this life that I can't live without. Those are the key and ingredients. that's really what it would be. The key ingredients in your life you cannot live without. Okay, love, compassion. Oh no, those ingredients. No, of course she's going to say olive oil. Well, but the compassion and all in love all come for yes. me. They're wrapped up in, in in food ingredients because that's how I see life, right? I mean, the olive oil is the love that I've seen since I was a kid, right? Because that's all we use. We don't use a lot of butter in my family, and the scents and the smells are what remind me of all of those. My goodness, food as poetry, symbols of love. And family, and I have to say, all of a sudden we weren't just talking food anymore. It really got to me. To me, it's um, <laughs> I miss walking into my home in Mississippi and smell my mother. Yeah, you see, know, she didn't cook a lot, but every time I was coming home, she always made sure. And it was like we're sitting at the table, we're having breakfast, and she's talking about what we're going to have for lunch. But that's, like, but that's, but like, that's what Italians do. That's what anybody who lives around a culture of food yeah. is going to do. Yeah. Because we show people how much we love them through sharing our food. Wow. And that's why it's so impactful when you go to an Italian yeah. family's home and you don't want to eat. It's hurtful. It, it you is. know, you think it's if you don't have a culture of food, you don't understand how much pain mm. that causes. Because I went through all the. Uh, the work of putting this together to show you how much I love you, and yeah. then I know. you're not reciprocating. I'm from the south. If we could, yeah, it's fry, the same. If, if we could fry water, we'd fry water. Everything is is built around our food, and and, and it's I what have, sustains us yeah. deep inside. 
Well, um, we have what we call, as we're wrapping up, this is a fishbowl. Okay. There are three questions in here. You only have to answer two. And it's it's called... No. Uh, oh, I thought that. it was just one. <laughs> no, no, There's no, There's three two. questions. You answer one. No, you're no, going to answer two. Oh, but it's called... Um, don't think, don't blink, don't don't blink, don't think. You just you just whatever comes. This is to like mind. fast fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you thinking think one about, at a time. Yeah, yeah, one at a time in the fishbowl. Okay, what is the question? Oh man, I should have okay. my glasses. Food trucks are all the rage. If there was a Jada food truck, what would you sell on it? Uh, panini. Ooh, you knew that right away. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, what, so what kind? This is just... uh, probably prosciutto and Gruyere or. Or apple and Gruyere would be you good, too. You just make mozzarella and prosciutto. You make it sound so sexy. Oh, wow. This is okay, like three, okay, okay. three sentences. Okay. Being the, world, oh, being the world famous chef you are, name oh. one thing you have in your refrigerator that would surprise or even <laughs> shock everyone. I'm so glad you picked that one. Velveeta. Okay, no. Okay. Teeth whitening gel. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I keep it in the fridge. My dentist says it's it lasts longer serious? that way. Yeah, he oh says keep God. it in the fridge. It lasts longer that way. Otherwise, gotta, it won't be as potent. Well, you know what? Your teeth. <laughs> well, so are yours. Know, so somebody else. You know, I think we're all using the same trick. But that is what would be in my fridge that would surprise everyone. Yes, that's what it is. Um, I this is. <laughs> show me those pearly whites. Thank you. Bless hey, you. Thank you for having me. And you know what? And I was just thinking, my favorite pizza spot in Farmington, Connecticut is named Naples Pizza. Oh, so I there ju- you go. See, I just, I just thought about it. I'm telling it. you, it's the Naples. birthplace of the best, po- uh, the best pizza in the world. Next just time, saying. Next time I darken their doors, I'll think of you and your family. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing yourself. So your appreciate something. it. Mwah. Mwah. <laughs> and a big mwah to everyone listening. That's it for our show today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and download our next episode of Everybody's Got Something. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd write a review on iTunes. Meanwhile, we'd love to hear from you. Your story, your something. Write to us at robinpodcast.com. A special shout out to my podcast pod, John, Steve, Josh, Andy, Evelyn, Alex, Gabe, Danielle, Rennie, Ida, and Jade. Mm, love you guys. Until next time, hot mess, still blessed. I'm Robin Roberts. <laughs>